let's turn our attention to Acts chapter 10. So all this morning, we have been singing about King Jesus. We've been singing about the fact that he is the, uh, the king who reigns, the one who is on the throne. And as we are looking at Acts, what we have been seeing is the unfolding story of the ever-growing kingdom of God. It's a kingdom that's been growing. It's a kingdom that's been expanding as the word of God, as the gospel has been going forth. As the gospel has increased, the kingdom has increased. The kingdom of God is expanding as this message is taking root in the hearts of people. And what we're seeing is this message keeps on going to more and more people. It started in Jerusalem, and it started with thousands of people believing in this message. And and then this gospel continued to spread out from Jerusalem to Judea and to the ends of the earth. It's the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Even in Acts chapter 1, as as Luke begins his... um, his book here, he talks about the kingdom of God, how Jesus was teaching his apostles about the kingdom of God, and he was sending them off to talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, at the end of Acts 28, we find uh, the apostle Paul, uh, who we're first introduced to as the persecutor Saul, and what is he doing at the very end of um, the book of Acts? He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. So in a lot of ways, Acts is all about the kingdom of God, and we're seeing this message about the kingdom of God expand. But here's the question that's increasingly being answered. The question that we're continually seeing the answer to throughout Acts is this. Who can be a citizen of the kingdom of God? Who can be a citizen of the kingdom of God? The kingdom is expanding as a message is being preached. More and more people are hearing the message. And so more and more the question is being asked, who can be a citizen of the kingdom of God? With that, let's turn our attention to Acts chapter 10. Uh, We're going to read... the first 35 verses of chapter 10. And if you would, uh, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Let's hear what the Lord would speak to us today. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now... Send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, 
he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited the men to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone from any other nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. As the question is being asked, who can be a citizen of the kingdom of God? 
the Lord gives a resounding answer here in our text. God shows no partiality. Maybe you know what it's like to feel like God couldn't possibly accept me. Or at least, I'm going to have to do some stuff before God can accept me. Maybe you even know the feeling of looking at someone and and saying, well, God is probably not going to accept them. But what God clearly communicates in our text today The beauty of the kingdom of God, the beauty of who can be a citizen of the kingdom of God, is that God shows no partiality. We're going to see this truth um, unfold throughout this passage, and uh, we're going to consider also how we can respond to the impartial God. And as we do, uh, let's walk back through this story that we just read and um, consider what we've seen and consider this central truth that God shows no partiality. So as the text begin, we're introduced to Cornelius. He's in Caesarea, which was uh, in Judea. It was the capital city as far as the Roman government was concerned. The Romans were occupying Judea. And so as far as uh, Rome was concerned, it was uh, the capital city. And Cornelius was a centurion, which means, means he was a military leader over uh, 100 soldiers. And Cornelius was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew, but we are told that he knew of the God of Israel. He feared God. He did good things. He was giving to people through acts of charity. He prayed continually. And so um, he had heard about God. He had heard about the one true God, and, and he wanted to honor him. But that's about as far as... He could go at that point. So this is Cornelius. This is who we are introduced to. And this man receives a vision. An angel of the Lord appears to him. And Cornelius responds in the same way everyone responds when an angel appears to them. He's terrified. This is a shocking event and a terrible sight. But listen to what this angel says to him in verse 4. As Cornelius says, what is it, Lord? He says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. This man had heard about this God. He he wanted to please him. So he did good deeds. He prayed to him. He He had been in his life making offerings that he was sending to God. And this angel, this representative of God, comes to Cornelius and he says that these things that you have sent have been received. You haven't gone unnoticed. God cares about you. And not only does he come with this message about his prayers and his alms, that that God has noticed these things, uh, he has something even better in store than just that he's been noticed by God. He wants to set up a divine encounter. An encounter between this Cornelius and the Apostle 
Peter. So he tells him, send men to Joppa. That's where Peter is staying. As we saw last week, he's staying with Simon the Tanner. Send people to go have Peter brought to you. And so Cornelius is excited. He immediately obeys and he sends three of his trusted servants to go and get this representative of Jesus, the Apostle Peter. So while these men that are sent by Cornelius are approaching, in God's providence, Peter goes up to the roof of Simon the Tanner's house for a time of prayer. And while Peter is praying, his stomach starts growling. He has to wait. No doubt he's smelling lunch being prepared from underneath, rising up to the rooftop, just making it all the more difficult to focus on prayer. And all of a sudden, he falls into a trance. He receives a vision just like Cornelius had received a vision. And as he sees this vision, that what, what, starts, uh, what begins this vision is he sees heaven opened up. And I wonder what Peter thought when he saw heaven opened up. I mean, he knew the scriptures. He knew when this had happened before. And so maybe he's thinking, oh, wow. Maybe I'm going to see Jesus sitting at the Father's right hand like Stephen did. Or maybe I'm going to see the Holy Spirit descend like a dove, like I saw at Jesus' baptism. Or maybe I'm going to get a glimpse of the four living creatures around the throne of heaven like Ezekiel did when God opened the heavens to him. Anyway, he sees this heavens open and this sheet come down. And what's on it? Pigs. Lizards. Vultures. And all other kinds of animals that God had made. And the voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, he's hungry, but he says, oh, no, 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 no. I know better than that. Though there's unclean animals on that sheet. I've never eaten them before. I'm not going to start now. No way. I'm not going to do that. And he's probably thinking to himself, man, if this was a test, I'd pass with flying colors. Way to go, Peter. But look at verse 15. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Three times this happened. Peter, rise, kill, eat. No, Lord, don't call common what the Lord has made clean. Rise, Peter, kill, eat. No, Lord, don't call common what the Lord has made clean. Rise, Peter, kill, eat. No, Lord, don't call common what the Lord has made clean. Three times this happens, and Peter doesn't understand what this means. He's scratching his head, trying to figure out what in the world this vision from heaven was trying to communicate to him when all of a sudden, down below, a knock comes at the gate. 
the men that were sent by Cornelius in the providence of God come knocking as at the exact same time Peter is scratching his head over what this vision may have meant. And while Peter is thinking about this, the Holy Spirit comes to him. Lest Peter think for a second that he shouldn't go with these Gentiles that are going to be at his door, the Holy Spirit says to Peter, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Yeah, Cornelius sent them, but the Holy Spirit sent them. He tells Peter, Go with these men. So Peter goes down. And they introduce themselves. He says, who are you? Why are you here? And they tell them, we're representing Cornelius. He's a centurion. They give him his sort of spiritual resume, how he's one who fears God and how he has done all this great stuff for the people of uh, the Jewish nation. And um, so Peter welcomes them in. And the next day, he goes with them, just as they uh, were sent to, uh, to have him do. And he brings along uh, six of the disciples with him there from Joppa. And all this, uh, this group of folks go down or up to uh, Caesarea. And they um, go and find Cornelius' house. So they're on their way. And Cornelius is anticipating them. He's expecting their arrival. And so he calls together all of his friends, his family. He gets this crowd together to hear and receive this messenger from Jesus. Uh, Peter approaches, Cornelius goes out to greet him, and he, he bows down. And Peter's like, whoa, no, stand up. I'm just a man. Uh, now, Peter was a valued guest because he, had, he was representing Jesus. Um, he was being sent by the Holy Spirit, but Peter knew, hey, listen, it's the message of this glorious God that is wonderful. I, I'm just a messenger. I'm a nobody. Don't bow for me. So Peter then comes in the house, probably finds a few more people than he might have expected whenever he signed up for this. He finds this crowd of people gathered, and he addresses them. And uh, he looks at this crowd full of Gentiles, and he says, now listen, you know I'm not supposed to be here. You know that I'm not supposed to be associating with any of y'all. This is not accepted. This is unlawful, he says. Although the law of Moses didn't actually say you couldn't do that, but it was just their custom that he was breaking. But even though he says, you know, this is forbidden. I'm not supposed to be here with you people right now. Look at what he says at the end of verse 28. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean so when i was sent for i came without objection when peter first received the vision he didn't understand it he was perplexed he was confused but when the holy spirit told him that he was to go with these gentiles who were asking him to come with them He realized that that vision that he had received of the food on the sheet, it wasn't about food. It wasn't about animals. It was about people. God was trying to communicate to him, there is no person who is unclean or common. Well, so that got Peter in the door 
He didn't refuse to go with these people. He entered Cornelius' house, stood before the people. That got him in the door, but what did Cornelius want? He asks, and Cornelius answers, and he tells him all about this vision that the angel appeared to him, told him that his prayers had been uh, heard, that his alms had been recognized by God, and that the angel told him that he was to send for Peter and that Peter was to come. And then look at verse 33. So I sent for you at once. You have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God. Why? For what purpose? To hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. They wanted to hear the message, what Peter was going to tell them. And specifically, as, uh, as the story is recounted a little later in Acts 11, in verse 14, we find that the angel told Cornelius that Peter was going to declare to him a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So Cornelius says, listen, we hear you have the message of salvation. We're all gathered to hear what you have to say. How can we be saved? And then Peter understood what God was up to. Now, at that point, Peter understands. Look at verses 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him, and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, in this passage, a lot is made of Cornelius fearing God, his acts of righteousness. And what we need to recognize is that uh, by no means is this passage trying to communicate to us that fearing God and doing good things is a way to earn God's acceptance. The point in all of this is not that that's a pathway to earn God's acceptance. What the fear of God and the doing right things demonstrates to Peter is that Gentiles are just as much ready recipients of the good news of salvation as Jews are. See, Peter, he was a messenger of the gospel. He had been told by Jesus you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he knew the geography, but he was still not understanding that all people were to be recipients of the gospel. In his mind, the recipients, the ones who were to receive this message that he was entrusted with, were Jews. To the, in all the nations of the world, but Jews. They were the target audience. Gentiles were not recipients of the gospel but through cornelius and what this vision has taught him through this experience the holy spirit was teaching peter that all people from all nations not just jews but gentiles people from any nation are equally worthy recipients of the gospel and so when peter realizes this when his eyes are open to this truth he goes on to preach the resurrected Christ to these people. 
And we're going to look at his message about the resurrected Christ next Sunday on Resurrection Sunday. So we'll hold off on that for now. But for now, I want us to just consider this central truth that God teaches Peter. That God shows no partiality. That God is not partial to Jews. He is willing to accept anyone from any nation who turns to him in faith. And the reality is, this, is, this has always been God's plan. His eternal plan was always to accept anyone from any nation. Even though in the narrative of Acts and in history, uh, this comes as a, this revelation, the shocking revelation. Um, it, it was something that was revealed but it was something that was God's plan all the time. It's like if you've ever seen a movie with a twist ending. You go back, uh, or excuse me, you're watching it, and you get to the twist ending, and it's like, what? How did I not see that coming? Like, that, that comes out of nowhere. But then, after you know what's going to happen, you go back and watch the movie again from the beginning, and you realize that that truth had been hiding in plain sight all along. Well, that's the same with this truth that all nations, people from all nations, were acceptable to God. It it seemed like this shocking revelation that came out of nowhere. But if we go back and survey scripture, what we can find is that this has been God's plan all along. It was hidden in plain sight. And and there are so many places we could go to look at this. But I want to show two that are specifically connected to Acts chapter 10. Did you notice, we kind of just glossed over it. Do you notice where Peter was whenever he embarked on his journey to the Gentiles? He was in Joppa. Joppa. Now, if you know the Old Testament, you might remember another of God's messengers who embarked on a journey from Joppa. The prophet Jonah. Jonah was tasked with taking God's message of judgment to a nation of Gentiles, the Assyrians. He was to go to the capital city of Nineveh, but he refused to go. He wouldn't take God's message to these Gentiles because Jonah was partial. Well, uh, some stuff happens. And God gets Jonah to Nineveh. And he finally does, reluctantly, but he finally does, preach this message about God's coming judgment on Nineveh. And the people hear it. And they repent. And they turn to God. And even though God had promised judgment, he takes it back. He chooses not to pour out his judgment on them because They repented. He shows mercy on them because they repented of their sin. And this makes Jonah furious. He can't stand. He even says in Jonah 4, 2, See, this is why I didn't want to come. Because I knew. I knew who you were, God. I knew you were a God who was slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love and mercy. And I knew you were going to be nice to them. And I didn't want to see it happen. 
Jonah was partial toward Jews. He didn't want to see the God of mercy show mercy on these Gentiles. But God demonstrated that he is the God who has pity on all sinners from all nations without partiality. We may be partial, but God is not partial. This has always been who he is. It's not new. Uh, Another place that we can look back in somewhat recent history to this passage, um, Luke himself tells a story from Jesus' ministry of another centurion. A centurion who had a servant who needed Jesus' healing. And that story very much parallels what happens here in Acts 10. Uh, First of all, he's a centurion, but also when uh, the centurion sends people to Jesus, uh, what they come with is um, all these things about the centurion, how he was so kind to the Jewish nation, again, uh, echoed later in Acts 10. And when Jesus hears of this centurion, this Gentile who has approached him in faith requesting healing, Jesus says this in Luke 7, verse 9, Not even in Israel have I found such faith. Well, man, nothing could have been more offensive to Israelites coming out of the mouth of the Messiah. That not even in Israel have I found such faith. But what Jesus does in that moment with that centurion, that he also does with this centurion here in Acts 10, is he reveals God's heart for the nations. He reveals God's heart for all people. That what he's looking for is not biology. That what he's looking for is not ethnicity. That what he's looking for is not their history and their spiritual pedigree. What he's looking for is faith. Faith. And anyone from any nation who turns to him in faith, he will accept. This has always been God's plan. Uh, We can go back to Genesis 12 and verse 3. When God set aside the head of the nation of Israel, Abraham, he promised, I will bless you and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This has always been God's plan to include people from all nations into the kingdom of God. And that plan that was eternally in the heart of God was accomplished at the cross of Jesus. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that when Jesus died, in his death, he dealt with sin. He conquered sin. And by dealing with sin, he removed the barrier that stood between sinful humans and God. Sin was like this wall that stood between us having a relationship with God. And when Jesus dealt with it at the cross, he removed that barrier between us and God. So through faith in him, we could be reconciled to God. But he goes on to say that in Jesus' death, not only did he deal with sin, he also fulfilled the law of Moses. This defining uh, covenant That made Israel, Israel. He fulfilled that law. And by so doing, he removed the barrier that stood between Jews and Gentiles. This law of Moses stood as a barrier in between Jews and Gentiles. And Jesus' death fulfilled it such that the barrier was removed. And now, not only can anyone be reconciled to God, but through the cross of Jesus... Anyone who trusts in Jesus can be reconciled to one another. 
Anyone from any nation, any ethnicity can be united to God and to one another and have equal standing as citizens of the kingdom of God. Uh, I was just talking about Ephesians 2. Flip with me to Ephesians chapter 3. As I said, this was a this was a revelation. This idea that God would include people from all nations into the kingdom of God. And Paul even refers to it in Ephesians 3 as a mystery, meaning a truth that was hidden but has now been revealed through the ministers of Jesus, the apostles, and the prophets. And look at the purpose of this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. To me, Paul, an apostle, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone, everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God's eternal plan was to show the riches of his mercy toward people from every nation to reconcile these two groups that hated each other jews and gentiles into one body called the church and all of it was to show off his wisdom to the spiritual beings watching um, from the heavenly realm down on earth, seeing God put his wisdom on display. This has been God's eternal plan for his kingdom, and Acts 10 is a fulfillment of God's eternal plan. God is revealing this mystery that was hidden. He's revealing that, yes, Peter... God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God shows no partiality. This is the God that we're gathered to worship today. So how do we respond? This is who God has revealed himself to be. How do we respond to the impartial God? Well, first of all, you need to understand that you are able to be accepted by God. You are able to be accepted by God. You may think that your sin disqualifies you from being brought in as a citizen of the kingdom of God. You might think that your circumstances keep you from being fully embraced, fully loved by God. But you need to understand that your sin does not disqualify you. 
it's precisely what qualifies you. Not because God celebrates sin, but because the very people that he came to save are sinners who were in need of salvation. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's those who know how sinful they are, who know how unqualified they are, who know how impoverished they are in their spirit, how little they have to offer God as something that would ever please him. It's those people to whom belong the kingdom of God. That's who God is welcoming as citizens of his kingdom. Anyone from any nation can be accepted if you turn to Jesus in faith. The gospel is for you. Jesus died to forgive you of your sins. He died and paid the full payment that your sins required. There is nothing you have left to do. You can be forgiven of your sins, everyone, past, present, and future, by trusting in the accomplished, finished, once-for-all work of Jesus on your behalf. You can be accepted, not because of your worthiness, but because Jesus wants to make you worthy. The reality is, in, in a different sense, we're all unclean. And there is no one so unclean that Jesus cannot cleanse by his blood. So if you are afraid that God can't accept you, if you feel like your sin is too much, you just need to know that Jesus' blood is enough. And you can turn to him in faith right now and be fully embraced by the love of God. A second truth, how we can respond to the impartial God. First of all, we need to recognize that we are able to be accepted. Just like Cornelius, we too can be accepted by God. But second, what God has made clean, do not call common. Peter needed to receive this word, and we need to receive this word as well. What God has made clean, do not call common. No one is beyond being a candidate for salvation. Peter needed to understand, he needed to learn that it wasn't just Jews who could be recipients of the gospel. Anyone from any nation could be a recipient of the gospel. And we need to recognize this too. We need to embrace and believe the truth that anyone can be and is a candidate for salvation. Anyone is a ready recipient of the gospel. Now, but if I asked you, can anyone receive the gospel? Is there anyone who can't be saved? I'm confident that it, Almost everyone in the room would say, well, of course, of course there's no one who can't be saved. Like, of course, anyone who, who trusts in Jesus can be saved. 
Anyone can be a recipient of the gospel. But we need to observe something about Peter. You know, once Peter was asked to preach the gospel, he was ready to preach it. He preached it without hesitation. But consider what it took just to get Peter in the room. Heaven had to open up. A vision came from God. A voice came from heaven, and Peter said no, and he had to hear it three times. And even still, when Gentiles knocked on the door, the Holy Spirit had to intervene and say, Peter, go with these men. God had to overcome the fact that Peter didn't even want to associate with Gentiles before he could even get to the point that he would ever preach the gospel to them. And I think learning from Peter's example, what we need to recognize is that the question we need to ask is not, is there anyone who's not a recipient of the gospel? The question we need to ask ourselves is this, what kind of person am I not even willing to have a conversation with? What kind of person am I not even willing to walk through their front door? What kind of a person is the kind of person that you're not exactly eager to associate with or that you don't really want to embrace in a conversation? Maybe a person from another country, person from a different economic bracket, person from a different political party, person who's homosexual, transgender. Who, who is it that's not receiving the gospel from you because you're not even really willing to associate with them as a human being to begin with? And we need to even go a little further with this. Say we do have a conversation with this person. Uh, when it gets time to have that talk, what do I see is their greatest need? Do I recognize that their greatest need is the gospel? Or does my sense that this person is unclean make me treat them as if they have to figure out something else and something else is their real problem. If you're having a conversation with an illegal immigrant, do you see their greatest need as being in need of a visa or in need of the gospel? If you're having a conversation with someone who's on welfare, do you see their greatest need being a job or the gospel? If you're talking to a socialist, do you see their greatest need to be convinced of the merits of capitalism? Or is their greatest need the gospel? You see someone who is transgender. You see their greatest need to be embracing their biological gender? Or is their greatest need the gospel? Do we see people as problems to solve? Or souls who need to be saved? 
there is not one of God's image bearers whom the gospel is not for. There is not one kind of person to whom God shows partiality. In every nation, anyone who turns to him in faith can be saved. So what God has made clean, do not call common. Lastly, how do we respond to the impartial God? The God who accepts us even with our faults and our flaws. The God who accepts anyone from any backgrounds, any nation. How do we respond to this God? We praise the impartial God. Consider the God who has revealed himself as impartial. What it says about God that he is the God who has an eternal plan that includes Jews and Gentiles and people from every nation and every background into his kingdom. Consider his love for the nations. His love for the families of the earth. That he would make a way of salvation for anyone to come and find forgiveness and new life in Christ. Consider the wisdom as we saw in Ephesians 3. The intricacy of God's plan. The brilliance of God on display and creating a way for people from every nation to be brought into the fold and accepted as equal citizens within the kingdom of God. Consider the power of the cross of Jesus. The power to tear down barriers. The barrier that is the greatest barrier imaginable between us and God. Torn down by the power of the death of Jesus. The barrier that stood between Jews and Gentiles. Just think about the division in the world. Think about all of the different things that divide us across all sorts of different lines. And that that pales in comparison to the power of Jesus to tear down barriers and unite anyone who turns to Christ. Think about the uniting power of the one Holy Spirit who makes one body under one head Christ and brings us together as a family for all of eternity. This is a God who is worthy of worship. This is a good news, a gospel that is worthy of proclamation. It's a God worthy of living for. It's a God worthy of pointing as many people from as many nations as possible to that they can find the same grace and hope and mercy and life that we have found if we are in Christ Jesus. And so may we not only praise this God who shows no partiality with our mouths and with our words and with our songs as we're getting ready to do in a moment, but may we also praise him with our, our lives, our proclamation, our witness. May we live lives that praise God and point the world to the fact that he shows no partiality. Let's pray together. Father, you are the God who from eternity past had a plan to unite all things in Christ. You had a plan from eternity past to bring people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language together in Christ as one church. Lord, we will be worshiping you forever as the impartial God who has redeemed by the blood of Jesus people from every nation and tribe and tongue. And Lord, I pray that today we would live as citizens of that kingdom and that we would declare your good news of reconciliation to all that you've given us 
a privilege of being an ambassador to. And Lord, now as we join our voices together, Lord, I pray that you would be honored by our song of praise. But Lord, would it not just be a refrain that comes out of our mouth as a song now, but Lord, would our life be a refrain of praise that lives for the glory of the God who shows no partiality. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.